Chapter Forty Two of Gretchen by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Forty Two Harold and the Diamonds. When Harold sprang upon the train as it was moving from the station and entered the rear car, he found Billy and Peterkin near the door, the latter buttonholing Judge St. Clair, to whom he was talking loudly and angrily of Wilson, who had brought the suit against him. Yes, yes, I see, I know but all that will come out on the trial the judge said trying to silence him but peterkin held on until his eye caught harold when he at once let the judge go and seating himself beside the young man began in a soft coaxing tone for him i don't see why in thunder you are going agin me who have allus been your friend and gin you work when you couldn't git it anywheres else and i can't imagine what you're going to say or what you know harold's face was very red but his manner was respectful as he replied you cannot be more sorry than i am that i am subpoenaed as a witness against you i did not seek it i could not help it but being a witness i must answer the questions truthfully thunder and lightning man of course you must don't i know that the irascible peterkin growled getting angry at once of course you must answer questions but you needn't blab out stuff they don't ask you so as to lead em on i know em the bloodhounds they'll squeeze you dry once let em get an inkling you know something more now if this goes agin me i'm out at least thirty thousand dollars and between you and i i don't mind giving a cool two thousand or three or maybe five right out of pocket cash down to anybody whose testimony without being a lie i don't want nobody swear false remember but heavens and earth can't a body forget a little and keep back a lot if they want to what are you trying to say to me harold asked his face pale with resentment as he suspected the man's motive say to you nothing only that i'll give five thousand dollars down to the chap whose testimony gets me off and flings wilson mr peterkin harold said looking the old wretch fully in the face if you are trying to bribe me let me tell you at once that i am not to be bought i shall not volunteer information but shall answer truthfully whatever is asked me go to thunder then i always knew you were a bad egg peterkin roared and as there was nothing to be made from harold he changed his seat to the one his son was occupying left to himself harold had time to think of the diamonds which indeed had not been absent from his thoughts a moment since jerry gave them to him they were closely buttoned in his coat pocket where they burned like fire as he wondered where and how jerry had found them in the tramp house it must have been he said to himself but who put them there and how did she chance to find them and why did she look so wild and excited so like a crazy person when she gave them to me bidding me let no one see them these questions he could not answer and his brain was all in a whirl when the train reached springfield and with the others he registered himself at the hotel suddenly there came back to him with horrible distinctness the words jerry had spoken to him years ago when he walked homeward with her from the park-house where he had been questioned so closely by mrs tracy with regard to her diamonds and what he had been doing in the house on the morning of their disappearance i believe i know where the diamonds are she had said and in his excitement he had scarcely noticed it but it came back to him now with fearful significance as after the gas was lighted he sat alone in a little reception-room opening from one of the parlours did jerry know where they were and had not spoken and if so was she not guilty of trying to shield another for that she took them herself he never for a moment dreamed it was someone else and she knew and did not tell 
he was certain of it now as every incident connected with her strange sickness came back to him when she seemed to be doing penance for another's fault she had called herself an accessory and that was what she was or rather what the world would call her if it knew to him she was jerry the girl he loved and he would defend her to the bitter end no matter how culpable she had been in keeping silence so long but who took them that was the question puzzling him so much as he sat thinking with his head bent down and so absorbed that he did not hear a step in the adjoining room or know that peterkin had seated himself just where a large mirror showed him distinctly the young man in the next room who he recognized at once though harold never moved for a few moments or lifted his head at last however he unbuttoned his coat and after glancing cautiously around to make sure no one was near he took the box from his pocket and holding the stones to the light examined them carefully taking in his hand first the earrings and then the pin and holding them in such a way that two or three times they flashed directly in the eyes of the cruel man watching him yes they are mrs tracy's diamonds there can be no mistake he whispered just as he became conscious that there was someone in the door looking at him quick as thought he put the box out of sight while peterkin's voice exultant and hateful called out hello mr prayer-book your piety won't let you keep back a darn thing you know agin me but it lets you have in your possession diamonds which i'd e'en a most swear was them stones miss tracy lost years ago and suspected you of taken i know the box anyway i heard it described so often and i believe i know them diamonds i seen em in the lookin-glass settin in t'other room and seen you look all round like a thief afore you opened em so fork over and mebbe you can give me back may jane's pin you stole at the party the night mr arthur came home fork over i say too much astonished at first to speak harold looked at the man who had attacked him so brutally while his hand closed tightly over the diamonds in his pocket as if fearing they might be wrenched from him by force will you fork over or shall i call the perlice peterkin asked call the police as soon as you like harold replied but i shall not give you the diamonds then you own that you've got em that's half the battle peterkin said coming close up to him and looking at him with a meaning smile more detestable than any menace could have been i know you've got em and i can ruin you if i try and then what'll your doxy think of you will she refuse my bail for a thief and treat me as if i was dirt what do you mean sir harold demanded feeling intuitively that by his doxy jerry was meant and feeling a great horror too lest by some means her name should be mixed up with the affair before she had a chance to explain the reference to billy was a puzzle but peterkin did not long leave him in doubt i mean that you think yourself very fine and always have and that our gal of the carpet-bag thinks herself fine too and refused my bill for you who ain't a cent in the world i seen it in her face when i twitted her on it and she riz up agin me like a catamount but i'll be even with you both yet i've got you in my power young man but and here he came a step or two nearer to harold and dropping his voice to a whisper said i shan't do nothin nor say nothin till you've gin your evidence and if you can hold your tongue i will you tickle me and i'll tickle you see 
harold was too indignant to reply and feeling that he was degrading himself every moment he spent in the presence of such a man he left the room without a word and went to his own apartment but not to sleep for never had he spent so wretched a night as that which followed his interview with peterkin of what the man could do to him he had no fear his anxiety was all for jerry where did she find the diamonds and for whom had she kept silence so long and what would be said of the act when it was known as it might be though not from him two or three times he arose and lighting the gas examined the diamonds carefully to see if there was not some mistake but there could be none he had seen them on the lady's person and had heard them described so accurately that he could not be mistaken and then the box was the same he had once seen when jack took him to his mother's room to show him what uncle arthur had brought that was a tortoise-shell of an oval shape and lined with blue satin and this was a tortoise-shell oval-shaped and lined with blue satin harold felt when at last the daylight shone into his room that if it had tarried a moment longer he must have gone mad he was very white and haggard and there were dark rings under his eyes when he went down to the office where the first person he met was billy who also looked pale and worn with a different expression upon his face from anything harold had ever seen before it was as if all life and hope had gone leaving him nothing to care for in his anxiety and worry about the diamonds harold had scarcely given a thought to what peterkin had said of jerry's refusal of billy for it seemed so improbable that the latter would presume to offer himself to her but at sight of billy's face it came back to him with a throb of pity for the man and a thrill of joy for himself for whom peterkin had said his son was rejected does billy know of the diamonds i wonder he thought as if to answer the question in the negative billy came quickly forward and offering his hand bade harold good-morning and then motioning him to a seat took one beside him and began i'm awful sorry hal that that you are mi mixed up in this but i su suppose you m must t tell the truth yes i must tell the truth harold said father will be so m mad billy continued i w wish i could t testify for you but i can't you were th there i w want and all i know f father told me but 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 don't volunteer information no harold said slowly wishing that the ocean were rolling between him and this detestable suit once he resolved to go to judge st clair deliver up the diamonds and tell him all he knew about them but this would be bringing jerry into the matter and so he changed his mind and wandered aimlessly about the town until it was time for him to appear at the court-house where a crowd was gathering it was late before the suit known as wilson versus peterkin was called and later still when harold took the stand white and trembling so that both his hands and his knees were shaking visibly he looked more like a criminal than a witness and he was so agitated and preoccupied too that at first his answers were given at random as if he hardly knew what he was saying nor did he for over and beyond the sea of faces confronting him judge st clair's wondering and curious billy's wondering too wilson's disappointed and surprised and peterkin's threatening and exultant by turns he saw only jerry coming to see him in the lane and asking him to keep the diamonds for her saw her too away back years ago in the little room with her fever-stained cheeks and shorn head talking the strangest things of prisons and substitutes and accessories and assuring someone that she would never tell and was going for him if necessary who was that man where was he now and why had he imposed this terrible secret upon jerry 
these were the thoughts crowding through his brain while he was being questioned as to what he knew of the agreement between the plaintiff and defendant while in the office of the latter once a thought of maud crossed his mind with a keen pang of regret as he remembered the lovely face which had smiled so fondly upon him mistaking his meaning utterly and appropriating to herself the love he was trying to tell her was another's and with thoughts of maud there came a thought of arthur the very first which harold had given him arthur the crazy man who himself had hidden the diamonds and for whom jerry was ready to sacrifice so much it was clear as daylight to him now the anxiety and strain were over and those who were watching him so intently as he gave his answers at random with the sweat pouring down his face were electrified at the start he gave as he came to himself and realized for the first time where he was and why he was there arthur would never see jerry wronged she was safe and with this load lifted from him he gave his whole attention to the business on hand answering the questions now clearly and distinctly when at last the lawyer said to him repeat what you can remember of the conversation which took place between the plaintiff and defendant on the morning of blank eighteen hundred blank he gave one sorry look at poor billy who was the picture of shame and confusion and then in a clear distinct voice which filled every corner of the room told what he had heard said in his presence and what he knew of the transaction proving conclusively that the plaintiff was right and peterkin a rascal and this in the face of the man who had asked him not to blab and who shook his fist at him threateningly as the narrative went on would you believe the defendant under oath was asked at the close and harold answered promptly under oath yes would you if not under oath if an untruth would be to his advantage no and then harold was through as he stepped down from the witness-stand old peterkin arose so angry that at first he could scarcely articulate his words you dog you liar you thief he screamed to stand there and lie so about me i'll teach you i'll show em what you are if there's a perlice i call on em to arrest this feller for them diamonds of miss tracy's they are in his pocket or was last night i seen em myself and he doesn't deny it by this time the court-house was in wild confusion as the spectators arose from their seats and pressed forward to where peterkin stood denouncing harold who looked as if he were going to faint as billy hastened to his side whispering L lean on me and i will get you out of this father is mad but order was soon restored though not until peterkin had yelled again as harold was leaving the room search him i tell you don't let him escape he's got em in his pocket miss tracy's diamonds lord of heavens don't you remember the row there was about em years ago of what followed during the next hour harold knew very little there was a crowd around him and cries of he is going to faint while billy's stammering voice called pleadingly St stand back C can't you and give him air then a deluge of water in his face then a great darkness and the voices sounded a long way off and he felt so tired and sleepy and thought of jerry and maud and lived over again the scene in the tramp house when he found the former in the bag and felt her arms around his neck as he staggered with her through the snow wondering why she was so heavy and why her feet were dragging on the ground when he came more fully to himself he was in a little room in the court-house and billy's arm was lying protectingly across his shoulder while billy's father was bellowing like a bull be you goin to let him go ain't you goin to git a writ and arrest him why don't you handcuff him somebody and you bill 
be you a fool to stand there hugging em as if he was a gal what do you mean hal is my friend father he never t took the diamonds billy answered sadly while judge st clair who had the box of jewels in his hand and was looking very anxious turned to the angry man clamouring so loudly for a writ and said sternly even if harold took the diamonds which he did not i am certain of that there is some mistake which he will explain but if he took them it is too late to arrest him a theft committed ten years ago cannot be punished now may the lord give you sense peterkin rejoined with a derisive laugh don't tell me that a body can't be punished for stealing diamonds of twas done a hundred years ago but it is true nevertheless the judge replied turning to another lawyer who was standing near peterkin asked is that so square is it so writ is that the law that is the law was the response well i'll be condemned if that don't beat all peterkin exclaimed can't be sent to prison i swore there ain't no law nor justice for nobody but me and i must be kicked to the wall i'll give up and won't try to be nobody i've um and as he talked he walked away to ruminate upon the injustice of the law which could not touch harold hastings but could throw its broad arms tightly around himself meanwhile the judge had ordered a carriage and taken harold with him to his private room in the hotel where the hardest part for hal was yet to come now my boy the judge said after he had made harold lie down upon the couch and had locked the door now tell me all about it how came you by the diamonds it was such a pitiful pleading agonized face which lifted itself from the cushion and looked at judge st clair as harold began i cannot tell you now i must not but by and by perhaps i can they were handed to me to keep by someone just for a little while i cannot tell you who it was i think i would die sooner than do it certainly i would rather go to prison as peterkin wishes me to there was a thoughtful perplexed look in the judge's face as he said this is very strange harold that you cannot tell who gave them to you and with some people will be construed against you i know it but i would rather bear it than have that person's name brought in question was harold's reply do you think that person took them the judge asked no a thousand times no and harold leaped to his feet and began to pace the floor hurriedly they never took them never i'd swear to that with my life don't talk any more about it please i can't bear it i have gone through so much to-day and last night i never slept a wink oh i am so tired and with a groan he threw himself again upon the couch and closing his eyes dropped almost instantly into a heavy slumber from which the judge did not rouse him until after dinner when he ordered some refreshment sent to his room and himself awoke the young man who could only swallow a cup of coffee and a part of a biscuit i am so tired he kept repeating but i shall be better in the morning and long before the night train had come he was in bed sleeping off the effects of the day's excitement the next morning when he went down to the office he was surprised and bewildered at the crowd which gathered around him the friends who had come on the train to stand by and defend him if necessary and as the home faces he had known all his life looked kindly into his and the familiar voices of his boyhood told him of sympathy for and faith in him while hand after hand took his in a friendly clasp that of dick st clair clinging to his with a grasp which said plainer than words could have done i believe in you hal and am so sorry for you 
the tension of his nerves gave way entirely and sinking down in their midst he cried like a child when freed from some terrible danger he had not thought before that he cared for himself what people said but he knew now that he did and this assurance of confidence from his friends unnerved him for a time then dashing away his tears and lifting up his face on which his old winning smile was breaking he said excuse me for this weakness only girls should cry but i have borne so much and your coming was such a surprise thank you all i cannot say what i feel i should cry again if i did never mind old boy dick's cheery voice called out we know what you would say we came to help you just a few of us but if anything had really happened to you why all shannondale would have turned out to the rescue thank you dick harold said then as his eye fell for the first time upon tom he exclaimed with a glad ring in his voice and you too tom yes i thought i'd come with the crowd and see the fun tom answered indifferently as he walked away by himself tom had said very little on the train or after he reached the hotel but no one had listened with more eagerness to every detail of the matter than he had done and all that morning he was busy gathering up every item of information and listening to the guesses as to who the person could be who gave the diamonds to harold the jewels had been identified by his father and by himself although an identification was scarcely necessary as harold had distinctly said they are the tracy diamonds the person who gave them to me said so but who was the person that was the question puzzling the heads of all the shannondale people as the morning wore on and each went where he liked at last toward noon tom found himself near harold in front of the court-house and going up to him said hal i want to talk to you a little while yes hal said and selecting a retired corner tom began hal i've never shown any great liking for you and i don't suppose i have any but i don't like to see a man kicked for nothing and so i came over with the rest thank you tom harold replied i don't think you ever did like me and i don't think i cared if you didn't but i'm glad you came is that all you wish to say to me no tom answered jerry is very sick jerry jerry sick oh tom it was a cry of almost despair as harold thought what if she should die and the people never know she had an awful headache when you left her in the lane and the next morning she was raving mad kind of a brain fever i guess harold was stupefied but he managed to ask does she talk much what does she say there was alarm in his voice which the sagacious tom detected and strengthened in his suspicion he replied nothing about the diamonds and the lord knows i hope she won't what do you mean harold asked in a frightened tone don't you worry tom replied i wouldn't harm jerry any more than you would but well hal you are a trump yes you are to hold your tongue and let some think you are the culprit hal jerry gave you the diamonds i saw her do it in the lane as i came up to you i did not think of it at the time but afterward it came to me that you took something from her and slipped it into your pocket and that you both looked scared when you saw me jerry was abstracted and queer all the way to the house and had a bruise on her head and she keeps talking of the tramp house and peterkin who she says dealt the blow i went to the tramp house and found the old table on the floor with three of the legs on it the fourth i couldn't find i thought at first that the old wretch had quarrelled with her about you on account of the suit and she had squared up to him and he had struck her but now i believe he had the diamonds and she got them from him in some way and he struck her with the missing table leg if you say so i'll have him arrested 
tom had told his story rapidly while harold listened until he suggested the arrest of peterkin when he exclaimed no no tom no don't you see that would mix jerry's name up with the diamonds and that must not be she must not be mentioned in connection with them until she speaks for herself and besides i do not believe it was peterkin who took them it might have been your uncle arthur uncle arthur tom said indignantly why he gave them to mother i know he did harold continued but in a crazy fit he might have taken them away and secreted them and then forgotten it and jerry might have known it and not been able to find them till now many things go to prove that and very briefly harold repeated some incidents connected with jerry's illness when she was a child that looks like it certainly tom said but i am awfully loath to give up arresting the brute and believe i shall do it yet for assault and battery he certainly struck her you will see for yourself the lump on her head so saying tom arose to go away but before he went he made a remark quite characteristic of him and his feeling for harold to whom he said with a laugh don't for thunder's sake think us a kind of damon and pythias twins because i've joined hands with you against peterkin and for jerry harrod and pilot you know became friends but i guess at heart they were pilot and harrod still no danger of my presuming at all upon your friendship for myself though i thank you for your interest in jerry harold replied then the two separated tom going his way and harold his until it was time for the afternoon train which was to take them home the suit had gone against peterkin and it was in a towering rage that he stood in the depot denouncing everybody and swearing he would sell out luber too and every dumb thing he owned in shannondale and take his money away and then see how they'd get along without his capital to boost em at harold he would not even look for his testimony had been the most damaging of all and he frowned savagely when on entering the car he saw his son in the same seat with him talking in low earnest tones while harold was evidently listening to him with interest the suit had been a pain and trouble to billy from beginning to end for he knew his father was in the wrong and he bore no malice toward harold for his part in it and when the diamonds came up and his father was clamouring for a writ he was the first to declare harold's innocence and to say he would go his bail now there was in his mind another plan by which to benefit his friend and rival too for billy knew he was that and the heart of the little man ached with a bitter pain and sense of loss whenever he thought of jerry and lived over again the scene under the butternut tree by the river when her blue eyes had smiled so kindly upon him and her hands had touched his even while she was breaking his heart when billy reached his majority his father had given him one hundred thousand dollars and thus he had business of his own to transact and a part of this was just now centred in washington territory where in tacoma on puget sound he owned real estate and had dealings with several parties to attend to this an agent was needed for a while and he said to himself i'll offer it to hal with such a salary that he cannot refuse it that will get him out of the way until this thing blows over billy knew perfectly well that although everybody said harold was innocent and that nine-tenths believed it there would still be a few in shannondale whose opinions his father's money controlled who without exactly saying they doubted him would make it unpleasant for him in many ways and from this he would save him by sending him to tacoma at once and thus getting him out of the way of any unpleasantness which might arise from his father's persecutions or those of his clan it was this which he was proposing to harold who at once thought favourably of it not because he wished to escape from the public he said but because of the pay offered and which seemed to him far more than his services would be worth you are a noble fellow billy he said 
i'll think of the plan and let you know after i've seen jerry and judge st clair uh, all right he'll uh, advise you to go billy said as they arose to leave the car followed by peterkin who had been engaged in a fierce altercation with tom that young man having accused him of striking jerry and threatening to have him arrested for assault and battery the moment they reached shannondale thunder and lightning and guns old peterkin exclaimed while the spittle flew from his mouth like the spray from niagara i assault and batter jerry crawford a gal what do you take me for young man i'm a gentleman i be if i ain't a tracy and i never salted nor battered nobody and she'll tell you so herself heavens and earth this is the way twas and peterkin shook from his head to his feet for like most men who clamour so loudly for the law he had a mortal terror of it for himself and tom's threatening looks and words made him afraid this is how twas i found her in the tramp house and i was all fired mad at her about something i shan't tell what for bill would kill me but i pitched into her right and left and by gum she pitched into me so that for a spell it was nip and tuck betwixt us and by george if she didn't order me out of the tramp house and said it was hern and i'll be dumbed if i don't believe she'd have put me out too body and bones she was just like a tiger and i swan i was feared on her and backed out with a kind of flourish of my fist on that darned old rotten table which went all to smash and that's all i know you don't call that salt and batter do you tom could not say that he did but he replied that's your version of it jerry may have another and her friends ain't going to have her abused by a chap like you and my advice is that you hold your tongue both about her and harold it will be better for you do you understand you bet peterkin said with a meaning nod breathing a little more freely as he caught sight of the highest tower of Lubertu, and more freely still when he arrived at the station where he was met by his coat-of-arms carriage instead of a writ and was suffered to go peaceably home a disappointed if not a better man End of chapter forty two